0: Hello everyone, this is Chris and I have been in Indianapolis, Indiana for the past week and have had just an incredible week of teaching here with Farming God's Way. And I know that some of you have heard about Farming God's Way before, I've talked about it and we had Brian Smith on a few weeks ago. And in a nutshell, Farming God's Way is no-till precision agriculture for the small-scale farmer that only has a hoe. It may be a little more complicated than that, but in simple terms, that pretty well describes it. Well, one of the really neat things about attending a training session like this is the wonderful people that you get to meet. Some of them are citizens of countries around the world and a lot of them are missionaries who have worked in lots of different places and have lots of different experiences. Well, today I have the privilege of speaking with Tom Brain, and Tom is a missionary in West Africa, and so I'm just going to open it up to him right now to give a little description about himself and his family and the work that he does.
1: Hello, Chris. Uh, yes, my name is Tom brain and I grew up here in Indiana. Uh, I, I have a wife and three kids, um, two girls and a boy and we moved to West Africa in 2013 and began in Burkina Faso and in 2016 we moved to Mali to work alongside a women and children's hospital there and also begin some agricultural work. Uh, and then. Uh, here this uh, next couple months we'll be moving once again to Senegal to uh, work with some unreached people there. So my heart is definitely there in West Africa.
0: Mm -hmm. So what led you well maybe I should just start back closer to the beginning. Like what led you to the Lord? How did you become a believer?
1: Yeah I, uh, I grew up in Primarily a Christian family. My dad became a Christian when I was five years old. Um, And I think watching my dad's life changed uh, really made a huge impact on my family. And we all realized that if the Lord could change my dad's life, then he could do about anything. And so uh, that's a pursuit of path uh, for our family um, to be really transformed. And when I was in junior high, my sister. Uh, graduated from Cincinnati Bible College at the time, and she left to go on the mission field. And so, I took a trip to see her when I was in high school, and realized that, you know, life is very different in other places, and uh, there's more than to life than just living for herself, mm-hmm. um, and that I wanted to be, you know, one of those people that lives like they'll die tomorrow and die knowing they'll live to- forever. So. I uh, I pursued a path in missions, met my wife along the way. She was also very interested in serving God among some of the poorest of the poor and also working among unreached people groups. And so that's really what led us to, uh, to West Africa, um, to areas that truly uh, are underdeveloped and uh, And on the Human Development Index, rank some of the lowest in the world, and spiritually also um, just huge spiritual needs there. Hmm. Yeah, um, among the
0: things that Frank and I have tried to focus on here through the podcast is agriculture, of course. But as, as I think of our walk as followers of Christ and our desire to see the Great Commission fulfilled, Obviously, that's a mission focus or mission impetus for you to be working in West Africa. And from what I understand of where you've been working, they've been pretty largely Muslim areas. And I'm sure that's you know created some challenge in all of that. But I, I guess where, where I'm going to with, with describing this and asking this question then is that as farmers, as Christian farmers, we want to see how we can integrate faith into our practice of farming. And so you would be in that kind of the same category there, where you're working among these people and you're evangelizing them, but how does the two of those things work together, the the farming and the faith, and the sharing of the faith?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, back up just a little bit. I in junior high, I worked for a hog farmer uh, for uh, three years, and I didn't get paid very much. And I pretty much wrote farming off as one of the occupations I did not want to pursue in life. Uh, it was difficult. It was hard. And I wanted to hang out with my friends, and my dad said, "No, you need to go work for the neighbor." and clean out his pig crates and that was no fun for a junior high kid and and even though he was also um, planting various crops you know i really didn't have much interest in being a part of it but that changed Uh, i told god that i would make myself available to him to use the tools that he's placed in my hands for Mm -hmm. the best of my ability for his kingdom so when i got to west africa i realized that a lot of people were in financial need at the time And I wanted to help them come out from uh, poverty and from this uh, dependency syndrome that that is such a problem there. And so I started helping them find ways that they could create their own income. And those things worked out pretty well. And then in 2015, uh, Brian Smith came to West Africa and introduced me to Farming God's Way. And I just realized at that moment how. Many people are doing agriculture in uh, West Africa. There is not a family that I know of that doesn't have somebody who's doing some sort of farming on some scale. And so even though they are small-scale farmers, I realize that if we can also teach them ways to improve th- their agricultural methods and increase their yields, we can also at the same time teach them... Biblical principles that fit in with that, and that's where farming God's way came in, and it has just seen it been such a great tool to help pull people out of poverty, but also give us that the leverage that we that we really want to be able to present uh, the gospel, uh, like you talked about, and presenting, carrying out that great commission.
0: So, with the farmers that you've worked with in Burkina Faso and Mali, and then what you would. Pre- projecting into Senegal, uh, how big of farms, or how how large an area would a typical smallholder farmer be dealing with?
1: Yeah, so in West Africa, we measure in hectares. <laughs> so which it's a little is about two here, and a half acres. Which is about two and a half acres, mm-hmm. correct. So most of the people that we're dealing with would be you know one to two hectares, which is what... Uh, uh, two and a half to five acres. Uh, I've seen people up to six hectares, uh, which would be close to maybe 20 acres of land, but that's not usually the norm. Usually it's one to two is on average. Now
0: everyone there probably owns like a, a tractor and has farm equipment that they can pull behind their tractor, right? <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I I think they would all like a tractor, um, but again, they probably wouldn't know how to really even operate a tractor or take care of it or, or have the resources to keep it up. But uh, yeah, uh, these are uh, what we often refer to as subsistence farmers. I like to call them small scale farmers because I think God is a God of increase and He's always wanting us to get beyond just farming for families and for ourselves, but really to be able to bless other people and uh, and also um, bless God in return with that. So, but most of these people are small scale farmers who lack um, much of the equipment that we have in America. It's amazing just hearing, you know, how far technology has come in agriculture here in America with drones and, you know, GPSs and tractors mm-hmm. And so forth, and we're talking. And where I live and work, uh, people are 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 doing completely um, all their farming by by hand, by hose. Um, there's there's no draft animals either. There right? are. They would they would sometimes uh, those who are still plowing would use oxen to plow, but as far as planting, um, nobody that I've worked with uses a tractor for planting. Uh, tractors are mainly used for hauling goods those that have them they're really expensive and uh, they become yeah more like a delivery vehicle than anything but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so
0: um they would pull carts with the oxen and the tractors to move things around but in the field the oxen wouldn't be used for much more than basic tillage work
1: correct yeah Mm -hmm. yeah tillage and yeah
0: that's it so in Burkina Faso and Mali, what kind of crops would be grown? How much rainfall are we talking about there annually?
1: Yeah, I forget what the rainfall is exactly annually. Uh, we we usually get heavy rains uh, between June and September. So there's a rainy season. And there's a, a rainy season. season and a dry season. Mm-hmm. So we have one good planting season in the in the winter. If you could. Many people do small gardens that they can water by hand. Uh, But really, if we're talking about relying on the rain, uh, we have really from June and through September to grow our crops. And then once uh, the end of October hits is when the rains stop. They start to die out in October. But really, you'll see your last rainfall at the end of October, and then it won't rain again until start raining, until... uh, maybe mid-April the following year. So, um, so it's about a five or six month dry period.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So most people um, in Burkina, we were seeing a lot more corn. Uh, we would see some millets. Uh, cotton is a huge crop as well, although people are trying to get away from that. Um, and I
0: assume that would be as a cash crop.
1: It's a cash crop. It's mainly, honestly, it's mainly to get free fertilizer. <laughs> uh, the, there's an agreement uh, with many of the cotton companies there, both in Burkina and Maui, that if you uh, will devote to growing a certain amount of cotton, that the cotton factory will uh, give you uh, free fertilizer for doing that. And farmers often don't use that fertilizer on their cotton fields. <laughs> they save it and use it on their cornfields, um, but that's sort of... Did the uh, cotton companies provide seed also? Uh, to my knowledge, they they did not, but I can't, don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. exactly uh, know the complete system, but I know cotton's a big crop. Uh, again, corn, millet, um, and then you've got other smaller crops, uh, on smaller scale, sesame Seeds and and different things that they're planting. Beans, peanuts, and peanuts are also planted quite a bit. Um, Definitely in Mali, you see much more millet than you do corn. Mm -hmm. Uh, But peanuts are are another uh, uh, crop that we see a lot, and uh, also some sort of some beans, especially like cow peas. um, uh, We see. Uh, Senegal, from my knowledge, is that they don't plant a lot of corn. Their growing season is really short, so it is mainly mostly sorghum and millet, um, uh, but I have yet to discover that exactly. Soon. So their, their growing season would
0: be short not because of temperature, but because of moisture. Correct. correct?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so temperature, we've got the temperature, obviously it's nice and warm. Uh, we lack the rainfall. So this mm-hmm. year uh, rains did not start till August in Senegal and again you're talking you know then August September really for growing two months it's too really too short to do corn and okay. uh, because yeah. uh, millet sorghum are more drought resistant uh, we can we can grow this hmm well I guess I'm gonna
0: ask this next question about what is your what did you see as your biggest challenge in working in these countries and I, I guess on the one hand, you know, as a farmer, you know, what is your biggest agricultural challenge? But, but I think it's maybe bigger than that. As you work among these people and you share with them, not just in terms of any kind of agricultural expertise, but, but spiritually as well, what do you see as, not necessarily the biggest need, but the biggest challenge that will be, what would create the most difficulty for you? And, and maybe how could we pray for you as you go to Senegal and begin your work there?
1: Yeah, that's a great question um, too. I I think one of the, there's probably many big challenges, obviously we're working in a Muslim context, mm-hmm. so that always presents challenges with fatalism and this idea that, 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 that every, everything happens uh, uh, because God wants it to happen that way, uh, whether that's good or bad. And so that's always a challenge. But I think one of the biggest challenges is just this victim mentality of um, and kind of a dependency that comes with that where uh, people uh, don't really feel like they have the resources in their hands to really do anything and so that causes a lot of laziness um, and apathy and poor work ethic and it just creates a, a lot of trying to figure out if they can get uh, the government, an uncle, a white person. like It creates a, a lot of dependency on, um, uh, because of that. And they always are seeing themselves as they can't do anything to get out of poverty. And what they fail to realize, I feel like so often, is that God has given us things that, that to get us out of that situation. If we would just apply ourselves well and work hard and, and work with joy, um, that that he can help pull us out of that.
0: So so you really do see farming God's way as a, an important tool in helping them to to realize God's all sufficiency, and that we have been sinful and we need to repent of that and to to move forward with with joy and with trust in God.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of young people, especially that don't want to work. Um, they would rather just drink tea all day, depend on their fathers, and when I ask them, hey, you know, would you, um, what's the problem? They say, oh, we don't have any, we don't have any money. I said, well, what about, you know, getting a job and working? Oh, there's no jobs, there's no work. And And yet, I think what they miss is realizing what God has given them and how about using those things. And even if it's just, uh, you know, making compost or being creative with the resources God's given you to, to be able to make something and then use that or sell that uh, so that you can help your situation instead of complaining about uh, your, your poverty. So job-wise, there really are few
0: employment opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think everybody wants a job from the government. Everybody wants to, you know, because then, then it's like they're guaranteed a salary. They don't have mm-hmm. to work really mm-hmm. hard, and uh, that's the ideal dream. But that's not reality. And everybody wants, right. you know, a house and three motorcycles and everything to be, you know, handed on a silver platter. But they fail to realize like they really need to apply themselves. And it's not that they can't work hard; they're very hard workers. Um, but it's whether or not they have the motivation to really do that. Mm-hmm. Well, farming—you know—the income is
0: more seasonal, and you have to have some input that you put into it before you start to reap the benefits of that. And so that does create some, I guess, a, a psychological challenge that, that you have to kind of hurdle over.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've been trying to do because of that, we recognize that, that there's this long growing period where you're waiting to get that cash. And so we've actually started another project where we've been teaching people how to make charcoal out of corn stalks instead of wood. And part of that is trying to get people away from deforestation as well. And we recognize just the effects that has on the climate and their ability to find water and so forth. and and so if we can, you know, they've, they've planted these fields, they've got these corn stalks. we encourage them to leave them on their fields uh, to add to a mulch covering on the surface of the soil that will break down and add nutrients back into the soil. But a lot of them also will still have plenty and we, we've been teaching them then how to turn those into charcoal bricks to burn. And to sell, so that they can generate some income, or at least save money from buying charcoal at the store mm-hmm. until their their crops actually um, come to fruition, and they're able to harvest those and gain the money from that. As well. Yeah, that's a new concept I hadn't heard about before. Yeah, about making the
0: corn stalks into charcoal. Yeah. Obviously, you're you're losing that as an organic matter addition back into the soil, but it's better than cutting all the trees down, I guess would be a yeah, yeah. Kind of so give and take no, there.
1: Right, no perfect system and realizing they're cooking with charcoal, you know, mm-hmm. what can we use as a available local resource. We have used even dried weeds, um, dried cotton stalks are a great hmm. uh, source because uh, they're kind of woody. They're woody, to they're start woody with. and they don't yeah. uh, really add much to the mulch covering anyway on the surface of the soil, so um, yeah, turning any of those things into charcoal has has been another just a tool we've been use, able to use. Is it common for
0: them after a crop comes off to burn the residue in the field?
1: Very common for them to do that. Um, again, these are just people that are repeating the folly of their fathers and mm-hmm. grandfathers mm-hmm. and don't understand what how you know things work in science, and I think that's a huge. Uh, need there is for people's understanding of you know how microorganisms work and things that we can't see things that are happening behind the scenes that God is doing right and so uh their idea is just to gather up the leftover crop residue and and burn it off and thinking that this will uh, help create new growth Um, often what it does is it helps create a lot more weeds and uh causes a lot of erosion and heats up the soil to the point where we're burning off those good microorganisms in our soil right. and it does a lot of more destructive things uh, mm-hmm. than we ever get the benefit for the mm-hmm. benefit probably that they get is they get some potassium out of the wood ash that yeah, adds to a the, the soil bit, yeah. but they don't really <laughs> reap much else so yeah it's and some of that, watching those things unfold is honestly, it's really sad and you just wish that you could just give them an answer and they would accept it, but realizing that takes time, especially when people are in poverty, um, they don't change their ways very easily and the reason is, is because if they take a risk on anything, yes. it it may be for them a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Whereas you and I could could take a you know a new variety of of corn seed for example and try it in our field and see if it works mm-hmm. and if we if we lose out on us on a, on one hectare or something it's not that big of a deal we're still going to eat tomorrow we're still going to have those things it's
0: not going to put me out
1: of business right but for them you know they might take that risk and if it didn't work out then they're going to be out a mm-hmm. month of of salary which is huge in the world so those are just all all things to consider when you see people burning up their fields and you want to get them away from that system In their heads are thinking if this does not work what you're telling me then i may really lose out on next year's harvest Mm -hmm. Um, so most of the time we just have to model and demonstrate ourselves and then invite them to see and after (laughs) <laughs> Several times in doing that, they sort of bite the bait and start to catch on, start and, to catch which on. is one of the ideas behind the
0: well-watered garden that's kind of an experimental six-meter by six-meter garden that they could plant and maybe see modeled around different villages,
1: different communities that would help them to see right. the, the potential that there is. It's a great way to break into a community that is unreached is to just do a well water garden yourself. It's something easy to manage. You can set it up and people can walk by and ask questions. It gives Mm -hmm. you that avenue then to kind of talk a little bit about more what farming God's Way is about and why we do agriculture this way. Some things will make sense to them, some some things won't, but then Mm -hmm. eventually uh, it opens a door to either provide a training or to do more teaching about it. Just having seen a little bit
0: of that myself, I realized that that initial sight of it is like, how does this work? And it was mentioned here this week during the training that we're hearing so much material. sort of like trying to drink from a fire hose. And so I can see for somebody who's never seen, never been uh, around any of this kind of teaching before, it would just be totally over their head initially. And yeah. the more they see it, the more they participate in it. Maybe you kind of get them to help you do it or, or even hire them to help you bring in some of the materials that you need for the mulch cover and so forth. Make a compost pile or whatever that they start to catch on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I'm out of questions for right now. Do you have anything in particular you want to say? Tom here is but but you might say, American farmers and American yeah I know some of you
1: listening may be familiar with farming God's way maybe not I'm not sure I have just found it to be a great tool uh, just to give you one example we have a neighbor two doors down he uh, he's a leader in one of the Muslim groups in our in our town and he uh, he wanted to see some of the differences that we were doing um and the way that we were doing agriculture and so i started uh just introducing him to farming god's way and he started just taking a lot of notes um that led into me going out to visit his farm as he invited me to come out there which led then to us doing a demonstration plot actually on his field Hmm. Uh, and that led to then uh more conversations and eventually he said uh he said tom you're a you're a protestant aren't you uh and i said yes and uh he said uh, he said well uh, uh i'd like to learn more about that and i said well i'd like to have a conversation with you about god sometimes And he, he mm-hmm. sometime and he said uh no that's that's not a problem so what i'm saying is is that's just one example i watched another friend of mine just totally uh, restore uh, broken relationships with people through farming god's way and and i just think it's such a great tool to be able to introduce people to jesus christ and also be able to help them pull them out from underneath that yoke of poverty so Mm
0: -hmm. god uses it to open doors for them
1: right for for you exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so Mm -hmm. Well,
0: thanks a lot, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time here today from this very busy schedule as we close out and get done for the week. And I just want to say how much I appreciate having got to meet you and hear some of your teaching this past week. It's been a great blessing to me, and hopefully this podcast will be a blessing to others. Yeah, thank thank you. you very much.
1: Thank you, Chris, and thank you for all who are listening as well.